Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everyone. It's so great to be with you. It is a new year. And although it's our first meeting in the new year, unfortunately, we can't meet together in person. But at least we have this online experience where we can come together. Um, we can be encouraged by the words of God in the Bible and, and take some time to even pray that God would be with us. In fact, if that's okay, I would like to pray for us right now. So, Lord, would you just be with us today in our time as we celebrate the new year and think of all the new things that you're going to be doing um, in our lives and through our lives next year. God, we just ask um, that you give us an understanding of what you're doing, that we might have a full revelation of where you are taking us and the things you desire to do. God, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I don't know if you're a New Year's resolution person or not a New Year's resolution person. To me, it, it doesn't really matter. I just always get excited at the beginning of every new year because it, it, it feels pregnant with a promise, like something brand new is available. Just um, this week, my oldest daughter, uh, with excitement in her eyes, ran up to me and says, Dad, do you want to see my new 2022 planner? And it's slick and glossy and all the pages are empty. Again, uh, in my mind, just open with possibilities of what this next year might bring. So whether we're resolution people or not resolution people, it, to me, it doesn't matter. We're, we want to be people who are expecting great things. And the new year is always a great opportunity to consider how we can start new things or maybe begin things that we started last year but didn't finish well, but we can begin again. And all that to say this is I think we have a wonderful opportunity to do something great. And I would just challenge us to not waste this opportunity. I want to share something with you that that I ran across just during my sort of daily Bible reading this past week. Like many of you, I oftentimes try to start my day just reading a couple chapters in the Bible. And like many of you, sometimes circumstances or busyness get in the way and I don't get that done. But this week in particular, I was reading in um, the Gospel of Luke, um, probably because we just finished Christmas and Luke chapter two is the sort of birth of Jesus and Christmas story. But I was in Luke chapter 3, and I ran across this line. It's Luke chapter 3, verse 23. And it says this, When Jesus, when he began his ministry, he was about 30 years of age. There's a lot to be said probably from that one little verse talking about maybe the age that a person should be before they get into ministry or the age of maybe where wisdom comes in. Jesus is about 30 years of age. Maybe there's something there, but that's not, not at all what I want to drive towards. What, I, what stuck out to me when I read that this week was that um, Jesus had a moment in his life when he wasn't doing ministry and then he began his ministry. 
that there was a moment when God wasn't really using him in the full capacity that he was going to use him. And then in a moment, he did. He changed that. There was a moment when God wasn't doing something and now is doing something. There was, a, there was a moment when that was then and this is now. There's this sort of moment of demarcation, a, a moment of beginnings. And I, I couldn't help but, but ruminate on that and consider that as we move into a new year. I couldn't help think about that that Jesus had a moment when something began for him. And, and I think for you and I, that we are on the edge of something that God is beginning for us and through us. Jesus began his ministry and his ministry to be summed up honestly was to bring light into the darkness. In fact, Matthew's gospel, um, paralleling John's gospel, when Jesus begins his ministry, uses language like that, that Jesus is light in the darkness. Look here in Matthew chapter 4, verse 16, that when Jesus came and began his ministry, it says that the people around him or there in his area were dwelling in darkness, and they have now seen a great light. And so for those dwelling in the region and in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And that is the ministry of Jesus, that he would illuminate the darkness around us, that he would take something that was shrouded maybe in darkness or secrecy or even hidden away from us. And through Jesus Christ, God will use his son to illuminate something for us. And we might see it afresh. We might see it new. We might see it for the first time. And it's in that moment that something begins for us. A couple weeks ago, somebody came up to me after one of our services here and asked me why we call the church Renaissance. And um, I love that question. It just means this. I've said this, I've told the story like ad nauseum for the first few years when we were a young church. But the fact that this person's asking, it just means that there's just a whole bunch of new visitors coming. And I'm so thankful for that. And they don't know the story. But simply put, if you if you don't know that the story, I'll tell you here that um, if you were to look up the definition of the word renaissance, it means rebirth or to be reborn. And, and that, simply enough, I think is a great name for a church, just to look at the definition of renaissance. And in fact, renaissance wasn't even the name that I had chosen for our church. I had another name chosen. I won't share that with you now. It was a friend of mine, a good friend, who suggested the name Renaissance. And when she said, just look up the definition and you'll see what I'm talking about, she was right. Renaissance means to be reborn or to have rebirth. But there's actually another reason why I think Renaissance is a great name for our church. If you know the period of history after the Roman Empire collapsed, this is around the 5th century A.D., the, the Vandals, the Goths, and the Huns, they uh, swept south and west into Europe and just brought a wave of destruction with them. They destroyed fine architecture, arts, um, everything that was beautiful, they seemed to destroy in, in their wake, making their way as they grabbed the territory that Rome was letting go of as the empire was crumbling. Only a few artifacts survived this period, and primarily those that did survive were held in monasteries, right? That the church was being used to sort of save some of these artifacts. When these monasteries were spared, these art pieces were spared as well. 
But for the next two, three, four, five, six centuries, whatever it was, things were really, really tough. There were feudal states fighting with one another. Um, things were bleak. In fact, this period of history we call the Dark Ages. And from the 5th century up to about the 13th century, it was a dark place to live. But in the middle of the 13th century, in a city in Italy called Florence, a a light dawned. Commerce had been bringing trade through this city from Asia. Wealth was beginning to increase in this region. And patrons, wealthy patrons, began to hire artisans to create again. In fact, many of the great art pieces that we see in churches around this period were because the church got involved and asked artists like Michelangelo and etc to paint chapel ceilings or to carve uh, statues out of marble but this rebirth of the arts so to speak took place in the 13th century and we call that historically the renaissance and it's a picture of what happened for the next Three or four centuries, philosophy increased, art and um, uh, creativity increased again, writing increased again, uh, 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 exploration increased again. In fact, the, the Americas were found when they sent people across the ocean to try to find new worlds in the middle of this thing called Renaissance. But it all became or all started in this one little city, Florence in Italy. A little light had dawned and pushed back the dark ages. So that's, I think, another great reason why Renaissance is a a great name for a church. And also speaks um, a lot about the ministry of Jesus, as Jesus is the light in the darkness. And I want to share a story with you that, that really, I think, best shows us how Jesus is the light that has come into the darkness. The story can be found in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 9. I'll give you a little backstory here. Jesus is... Uh, started his ministry now, right, as we've already learned about. And he's walking by at some point during the day, and he sees a person, a man, who was born blind. And his disciples began to ask Jesus, why is this person blind? Was this because of sin in his life, or was it because of maybe sin in his parents' life? What we're learning is that is this person was was born with his condition. It wasn't like a workplace accident or maybe illness or disease had taken his sight. This person, to to use this metaphor of light and dark, this person was born into darkness. And in fact, John, in his gospel, he uses that metaphor a a, a lot of darkness and of light, of, of people being in darkness coming into the light. And this is one of those stories that John tells us. So here's this man born into darkness, and the disciples are wondering, why? Why is he blind? Why is he in darkness? Is it because of his sin? Is it because of his parents' sin? And Jesus responds to their query here in verse 3 of chapter 9. Jesus answers that it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work, Jesus tells his disciples, that we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day because night is coming when no one can work. Again, that sort of picture of light and dark, night and day. And Jesus says these words, verse five, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus performs a miracle. He takes some dirt from the ground and puts some saliva in it, makes a little paste of mud, 
puts it into his eyes, tells the man to go wash in the pool. And he does. And when he washes his face from this mud, he can see. He returns to Jesus and he can see. A miracle transpired. Jesus, the light of the world, has brought light into a person who was born into darkness. There were some people around Jesus when this took place, some religious leaders. They're called Pharisees. And the Pharisees began to grumble that Jesus performed this miracle on a Sabbath day, that the day Jesus did this was the Sabbath. And they said, well, Jesus, you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath, even if it's a miracle. You can't make mud and put it in someone's eyes. That's work. And so the Pharisees grumbled against Jesus. (laughs) In fact, you can uh, see this here in verse 16 of John chapter 9. It says, some of the Pharisees said, this man, Jesus, he's not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. And other people said something like this. Well, how can this man, Jesus, who's a sinner, obviously breaking the Sabbath, how can he do such signs? There was division among them. Yeah, there might have been division among those people. But know this, they were united in one thing. They didn't think Jesus could do or should do what he did for that person. They don't think Jesus should bring light to to people who are in darkness. And honestly, as I consider that, I think about that for my own life. I wonder how many people around me when I talk about Jesus think, well, Jesus can't do that. He can't really help you. This is all in your head, right? Jeff, you're just better because you've just focused your attention on getting better. You've just disciplined yourself better. You've made New Year's resolutions over the past 25 years, and you've gradually made yourself a better person. But that's not true. I'm a better person because Jesus has illuminated my life. That Jesus has brought me out of darkness and into the light. And for you, for many of you, some of you feel the same way. That there are people on the outside saying that Jesus can't help you. You shouldn't follow Jesus. And I'm here to say, history tells us, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the one who can help us. He is. Jesus is the light that is in the world. Come to help us. Maybe we should pay attention to the words of Jesus. After Jesus heals him and the argument ensues and the Pharisees are arguing with Jesus and the other people, they begin to question the man who has been healed. They ask him, who healed you? Well, Jesus did. When did he do it? Why did he do it? How did he do it? And he begins to tell them the story. And the Pharisees get more upset and they begin to question other people. And they go back to this man one more time. Well, who healed you? And he's like, I told you already. Were you really born blind? Yes, I was born blind. And the Pharisees don't even believe him. They actually go to his parents, the man's parents, and ask them, was he born blind? They're like, yes, he was born blind. He lived his entire life in darkness. And so the Pharisees ask the parents, well, who healed him? We want to know who did this thing. And the the parents knew the Pharisees didn't like Jesus. And they're like, I don't want to get involved in this thing. (laughs) So they said basically this. If you have more questions, you need to go ask my son. He's of age. He's a man, right? Go ask him who healed him. And so they go back to the man again, inquiring who healed you. All of the the questions kept coming. 
And the man finally responds with this famous line. I love this at the end of this story. It says here in John chapter 9, verse 25, that the man answered the Pharisees, whether Jesus is a sinner or not, I don't know, uh, parentheses, I don't care. <laughs> it ain't a thing for me. And then he says this, but one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I was blind, but now I can see. I was living a life in darkness, but now Jesus has illuminated it for me. Now my life makes sense to me. That story, a real story that took place with Jesus and a real man, is it's a picture of what happens to us, not maybe physically. I mean, I wasn't born blind. I wasn't, but the darkness that I lived in was of a spiritual kind. And, and this story, it, it parallels what, what God does to us and for us in a spiritual way. That all of us are born in darkness. We, we call this sin. All of us are born into a sinful state. And because of the sin nature that you and I have been born into, like this man, we can't see the world for the way the world is intended to be seen. We can't fellowship with God. We can't be with God in a way that God wants us to be because we have this thing in our life that's separating us from him. But because of Jesus, he has come to remove the darkness, that he has come to remove the sin in our life. And that's what the, the story of the scriptures tell us, that all through the Bible, it's pointing to this one person who will come and save people from their sins, who will pull people from darkness into light. And that's what Jesus has done for us. You can imagine the next day for this individual, having lived his entire life blind, an encounter with a strange person, rabbi, teacher, Jesus, and he can see. You can imagine he goes to bed that night, closes his eyes, and wonders if tomorrow I'll still be able to see the light of day. And he did, and he could. And you have to at least see this with me. In that moment, we see that that person has been giving a new opportunity, a new beginning, so to speak. He's been reborn into the world of light. That, that's a picture of where we stand right now. For, for God has done so many things in our lives in the past year. And as we stand on the edge of a brand new year, 2022, I want you to see it the way I'm, I'm sensing it, that there is an opportunity for us to begin again, that there's an opportunity for us to start something, to, to know God more, to have a more intimate relationship with him, to have things in our life slowly transform and change that we might become more like Jesus, that the things that sort of enslave us or shackle us and bind us up, the things that continually come back to taunt us, that God is, is starting something new and, and we're going to turn the corner and move away from these things. And I say this not trying to muster up hope in, in my own spirit or my own man. I'm saying these things because I think God is saying these things to us. 
as I've been just praying and considering, as, as God is leading me, just as I simply read scriptures, like I read in Luke chapter 3, that Jesus began his ministry, that that is a word for us in the church, that Jesus is going to begin something in us. And I want us to be anticipating what he's doing. I want us to be a people who, who embrace the new year, who say things like this, okay, 2020 and 2021, good riddance or whatever, good things, bad things, but I'm leaving that behind. And now I want to move into something new with God. And so I, I just want to tell you what I'm thinking here as pastor of Renaissance, what we as a church could do to embrace what God wants to say to us and lead us into for the next year. For the first time ever in 11 years of history of Renaissance Church, I'm going to ask the entire church to come together in January, right, um, for 21 days of fasting and praying. We, we've never done this corporately as a church body. I, I of course, um, fast and pray. Um, haven't fasted lately, to be honest with you. Um, my early years of Christian living, I fasted quite often and regularly. Um, but I pray often, and maybe some of you do too. But we have never gathered together to do so corporately. And so um, you, many of you know this, but Renaissance is part or part of the family of Foursquare churches. And Foursquare, our, our family or denomination, is putting together a 21-day fast starting and prayer um, starting on January 10th. So from January 10th to January 31st, those 21 days, all the Foursquare churches are gathering their churches together to fast and pray. And I would like to join them in that regard. I would like to come together as a church and fast and pray. Many people ask the question, you know, why, why should we fast? Is that really a thing? Um, if I could be honest with you, I've been reading a little bit about fasting lately, and I've learned some things. And if I could share those with you briefly, um, let me do that. Prayer, a lot of people have maybe a better understanding, but fasting, maybe not so much. But know this, all through Scripture, there are stories um, replete of people fasting, that over 30 different times we see characters in the Bible fasting. We see Jesus Christ, our, our Lord and Savior himself. He was fasting in the early church, in the book of Acts. The church would gather together and they would fast. It is oftentimes written in the New Testament that, that the churches, the Christians there, it was sort of inferred that they're people who fast. And when I looked into fasting, I realized there's really kind of three main reasons that the people of God would fast. And I can see these in scripture. I'll run through them very fast just to give you a little primer on what fasting might look like for us. That a lot of times in scripture we read where people fast after they have this sort of sacred moment or this divine encounter with God. In fact, we, saw, we see this kind of story in Jesus' life. After Jesus was baptized by John, and he begins his ministry, John or Luke chapter 3, um, it says that he was then led into the wilderness by the Spirit of God, where he was tempted by the devil, and he fasted. He did not eat anything for 40 days. 
So after this great big encounter that Jesus has in his baptism, where the voice of God speaks from heaven, the spirit descends upon him, and he begins his ministry, he does what you and I probably wouldn't do. He goes away by himself and he fasts for 40 days. Interesting though, as I learned this this week, Jesus is not the first person to do that. In fact, he's the third in a series of prophets that we read about in the Bible who had a sacred moment, a spiritual encounter with God, and then immediately left and fasted for 40 days. We see this in Exodus 34 when Moses goes up the mountain and meets with God to receive the Ten Commandments, and he fasts for 40 days after that. The, the prophet Elijah has this encounter with um, the, the prophets of Baal, and the people of Israel are worshiping false gods, and he, he calls down fire from heaven in this monumental moment that takes place, and then Elijah goes off and fasts for 40 days. And again, as I said, Jesus then does so. So one of the reasons we fast is that you and I, People of God have experiences with God that so transforms them and marks them that the, the correct response is a fast. They're not fasting to try to enter into a transaction with God. Like I'll fast and then God will do something for me here. If I pray hard enough, God will do something for me here. No, the fast is, is the result of an encounter with God. I think last year, many of us had encounters with the Lord. And I think this would be a great opportunity for us to, to fast in response to that, to forego food for 24 hours or so. Another reason people fast in Scripture, when you look through Scripture, and this is maybe one of the more common times when we see people fasting, is when people turn away from their sinful choices and decide to follow God. If you want to do the homework, you can read in 1 Samuel chapter 7, where we see the people of Israel were serving a Canaanite god, Baal, and they weren't serving um, Yahweh any longer. And, and God awakened them from that, that he illuminated that for them, that they were serving the wrong god. And so the, the, the prophet comes and speaks to them. They repent and return back to God. And when they do so, they, they confess their sins and they repent. And the same can be true in our lives, that oftentimes when we turn away from something that, that God has revealed to us, that when God speaks to us about sin issues in our lives, he's doing so because he knows we can change. He's doing so because he knows the Holy Spirit inside of us can empower us to change. And oftentimes the right response is to move to repentance and fasting. And so maybe last year we had some of those moments. And so the first part of this year, let's, let's gather together to fast and pray. And then a third reason that people fast in scripture, when you read all the stories of fasting, is that oftentimes God people run across or have a tragedy or a calamity that happens in their life. Maybe it's a, a, a sickness thing that comes in. In fact, that's, if you want to read this story, Psalm 35, the story of King David, who's being chased by enemies, trying to take his life. People he knows, right? Some of his own family, unfortunately, are trying to take his life. But in Psalm 35, we read that when David catches word that some of his enemies had fallen sick, 
David fasts and prays for them. So sometimes tragedy or calamity befalls our lives. And that's another reason why people fast in scripture. I don't need to remind you what the world has been going through over the past year and a half or so. This global pandemic or endemic, whatever we want to call it nowadays, what with COVID-19, that's a calamity. That's a tragedy that's happening in the world around us. And, and we can be a people who respond in fasting. And we respond in prayer. There's a whole bunch of stuff that you can learn about fasting and prayer. And some of the things that we're going to do as a church as we move into this next year. Um, if you go to foursquareprayer.org, foursquareprayer.org, that'll take you to a website where you can actually sign up to join the 21 days of fasting and prayer. And if you give your email, you'll get little daily reminders, little daily devotions and scriptures and meditation points that you can pray about for those 21 days. I'm here to tell you, I'm doing that this year. I'm signing up for this because I want to fast and pray for 21 days. I want to, to go before the Lord, right? To respond in, in a way that I think is biblical and Christian and see how God might speak to us in this time. So if you go to that website, foursquareprayer.org, there's all kinds of resources there. You can sign up to get the little email blasts and you can read a bunch of stuff on your own. We as a church would like to begin this fast on January 10th and, and culminate on January 31st. And in those three weeks, we're going to do one other thing too. And we'll make more mention of this later. So I, this feels like an announcement at this point. But just know this, on Tuesday evenings, um, excuse me, I wrote it down. On Tuesday evenings, the 11th, Tuesday the 18th, and Tuesday the 25th, I'm going to invite the church to come here to the building, hopefully. Uh, and we're going to gather together to pray together as a church family. That we'll come together, that we'll worship for a little bit, and then we will pray together. We'll pray for one another and we will seek God's guidance. Um, we mentioned last week that uh, Pastor Josh and his family, Jen and his kids, are, are sensing the Lord leading them into um, senior pastor or lead pastor positions. We're going to gather together and pray for that. We're going to gather together and pray that God would, would bring another pastor maybe to fill uh, Josh's place here. And we're going to do all these things together as a family. And I want to invite you to come and join us in that. So I'm finishing here. I just, I just want to reiterate how pivotal I think this moment is in our lives. That It is a new year. I get that. But there is a blank slate sitting before us. And I think God is doing something new. I think God wants to begin something new and again in our lives. And I want to invite the church to just, let's go after it. Let's just find out what God is doing and let's join him in that. Let's do it corporately as a church and let's do it individually as a Christian. I love you guys. I wish we could have gathered today in person. Um, I really hope we get together next week. Anyways, God bless all of you. Thank you. 
Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you. 